Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the series that we're doing called Take Your Stand. And uh, this series is based on some verses in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, where uh, we're encouraged to put on the armor of God and to take a stand. And that uh, when I thought we were first going to do this series, I was going to call it Get Dressed, but um, if you remember, in, in sort of preparing and studying uh, for the message, had spent some time with God and uh, just really felt impressed that he was calling us to take a stand, in particular um, in dealing with the ministry of encouragement that I also believe he's given us as a church to, uh, to embrace and to operate in and to encourage others to get involved in because it has, uh, I believe, a the potential to impact the world. And that as we come to God with a little bit of faith, with our five thankful things every day and encouraging two people, in the same way that, that Jesus took the loaves and the fish and a little bit of faith, he was able to do a miracle with the multitude that, that this is the way that God sort of laid this out for us. And so, uh, hopefully you're getting involved. I've, I've been asking you now for you know, the series I did before the encouragement series was about encouragement. <laughs> so I went and counted. I'm, I'm at like 21 messages on topic. <laughs> so my hope would be that you're getting it or you're just getting really tired of hearing it. I don't know. But uh, but I'm not stopping yet. So I want to see us all get it because I think we're supposed to be doing it. It also it's good for us. Um, if you get involved, it's a good thing. It will help you to. Change your focus and to get a better picture about what life is all about and what it's supposed to be all about. God's encouraging us to take a stand to uh, to do this. And so um, I've asked you in these in this message to learn some more verses. I've encouraged you to learn some more verses. If you, if you can, I understand. But if you can, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. I've been giving you Bible cards again. If you haven't got one, there's some on that back table for the Ephesians verses. And, and so far, you should have memorized Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. Now, it's going to come up on the screen, and you can read it if you haven't memorized it yet. But let's, let's try and do the first two verses together, and I'm working on it myself. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, let us put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to take your stand and having... Oops, I forgot the last, last part. And after you've done everything, to stand. There you go. So, um, important stuff in... These verses that we talked about, and we looked at those two verses in our message last week, and what that was all about. And, uh, you know, think again about what it means, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And yet, we always seem to want to focus in that area. And, see, taking a stand... We're taking a stand in love, and we need to understand that the only way to dispel darkness is by introducing the light. See, that's what this battle's all about. That's what this thing's all about. That's, it's not this militant stance 
that, that seems to always want to go after flesh and blood. It's a stand in love that realizes that the only impact we can have against darkness is by introducing the light. And Jesus is the light. That's it. That's what we have. That's ultimately what works. You know, it's, it's, it's not about hating people. It's not about, um, I'm not sure if I want to step into this or not. It's not about burning books. It's, it's about loving people. Because that's what God does for us. And that's what has an impact. Not militant stances of hatred. They don't work. Love works. And, and that's what we need to understand. That's what we're taking our stand in. And today, I want to talk about um, this concept of standing alongside the broken. That in our culture, the church is called to stand alongside the broken, and yet oftentimes the church does the exact opposite. They sort of reject the broken. They, we, if we're not careful, we put off this idea of we don't want your brokenness. Go get fixed and then come. And we got it backwards because that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're supposed to be a place that stands alongside the broken and what that looks like. And Ephesians 6.14 is the, the verse we're going to be working on today. It's our memory verse for next week. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so I want to talk today about truth and righteousness. And um, that, I think... Those are the primary ingredients for standing alongside the broken, and yet I think they're often misunderstood and, and used in the wrong way to reject the broken. And so I want to talk about what truth and righteousness look like. And, and there's, there's a character trait that's reflected in truth and righteousness, I believe, and that'll be the first point in your bulletin, and it's reflected in integrity. Integrity. Um, integrity to me is, is your inside matching your, your outside. It's, it's living what you believe. It's, it's not wearing masks. It's being truthful about your faults and your flaws. Um, not about pretending to be something that you are, aren't. It's an honest evaluation of your true self. An honest appraisal of your true self. It's, it's ultimately where truth and righteousness intersect in our own lives. And, and in order to be effective as ministers of encouragement, we're going to have to be people of integrity. And our integrity is going to have to be evident to the world around us. Um, we talked about Barnabas in this last series and, and the son of encouragement. And he was a man of great integrity. And, and that was why he could, uh, if you remember the story where, where Paul, the apostle at the time, was Saul, and he had been busy persecuting the church and having Christians killed, and then he's had this amazing conversion experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all sorts of things happen, and he, he, he was on fire before in a, in a not good way, and he gets on fire for the Lord Jesus, and, and he begins to preach wherever he's going. And yet the church, as you can understand, is afraid of him. Because they think, well, this is the same guy that was just, just killing us a little while ago. 
and, and Barnabas sees something in Saul and goes before the church, the established church with him, and because of the integrity of Barnabas, and you remember the stories how Barnabas sold some land and gave it all to the church and how he was with people. Barnabas was a man of integrity. Because of the integrity of Barnabas, the church was able to receive Paul because Barnabas said, he's, he's going to be okay. You, you need to allow him to be a part. Acts 9, 27 and 28. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. See, the church was hesitant because they were fearful. And oftentimes still, the church hesitates to accept the broken because they're afraid, they're fearful. And, and it's going to take people of integrity to come alongside them and say they need to be here. They need to be apart. And that's what Barnabas did with Saul. And, and it was because he was a person of integrity that allowed it to happen. And so um, we need to be people of integrity. Uh, uh, that's the place in our lives where truth and righteousness meet. What we're going to have to deal with is point number two. And this is significant, and I hope you'll, you'll let me work it through with you. Um, the second thing that we have to be very careful of is our tendency towards being Pharisees. And we have this tendency. Um, and, and I called it to be, but it's, it's a self-righteousness that we need to be aware of. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of self-righteousness which is the trap that the Pharisees had fallen into at the time of the accounts of the gospel. And, and when I say that, and I, I know I say this a lot, if you come on Wednesdays, you'll hear me say this, when, when oftentimes people just paint the Pharisees as evil people, and they weren't, they were people who got together to protect Judaism from being contaminated by the culture that was being forced upon them as the Greeks had overtaken everything. And everything was becoming Hellenized, is what it was called. It was becoming influenced by the Greek culture. And they had banded together to protect Judaism a couple hundred years before Christ. But by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, it's so morphed out of what it was supposed to be that it's no longer a picture of righteousness and truth in following God. It's a self-righteous, rule-oriented process that is not impacting the world at all and is not drawing anyone, in fact... It's made it impossible for people to get to God. And so they've sort of just settled in for trying to follow some of the rules or they can't do it, and they're a mess. And it's the whole message of Christ to come and say, listen, you got it wrong, and you have to move away from this self-righteousness. Mark 2, 16 and 17. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him, speaking of Jesus, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and he's, he's not saying there that he, the Pharisees are righteous. Uh, he's trying to make a point that he's come for sinners, which is all of us. And that all of us, Need Dr. Jesus, but for some, I don't know what else else you want to say. We're, we're, we're all sort of a mess. And, and so where integrity comes in is this, that a lack of integrity, when we're not, um, balanced on the inside and the outside with what we believe, 
and, and we're, we're all sort of upside down, our mess um, will, will cause us to become self-righteous. It's where we go and very judgmental and ultimately not care about people, which was the hallmark of the Pharisees at the time when Christ came. They just didn't care about people anymore. The, those who were supposed to represent God had completely lost compassion for people. And see, to me, it just seems like oftentimes that's where the church has become. Um, it's become a group that has lost its compassion for people, the very people that God loves. And it's, it's a Phariseeism that we have to be aware of, that we have to be just looking at all the time. And we have to understand these things, just a few little points under self-righteousness, so that we're aware. The first thing we have to understand, and I talked about this in the last series, we are all broken. We talk about standing alongside the broken. We have to begin with the understanding that all of us are broken. And until we come to grips with our own brokenness, we won't stand alongside broken people. And integrity allows us to admit our own mess. We are born broken because it's a fallen world. From our earliest stages in life, our main concerns, our pleasure... And living free from pain. There's a word for that. It's called hedonism. So you're born hedonist. You're welcome. <laughs> you may not like that, but that's the truth. It, your, your concerns are pleasure and being free from pain. That's what hedonism is all about. And, and we're to grow away from that over time. It's something we're taught and, and, uh, that we learn that, that there's a thing called delayed gratification, which we need to embrace, but that a lot of people just never embrace that, and they continue on with their entire lives seeking after pleasure and the absence of pain in their life. That's what they're looking for. And all of us have gone down that path at some levels, and that's why we've all sinned. That's the, the basis of sin, guys. That's why we sin. We, we either want pleasure or we, we don't want to feel pain, and so we go to fix it ourselves. And, and that's what's caused all the problems and why we're all broken. All of us need Jesus. And, and Jesus is not a one-time fix. Jesus, when comes into your life and you get that part, your salvation is in there. That's, but he's then by the Spirit of God working on you throughout your life until he comes back. I don't know anybody who's completely fixed. I've never met them. They're, they, and if you, if you meet somebody, they're not fixed, I promise you, because they're in denial. And right there, it blows the whole fix thing. Um, because part of the process is knowing that we're broken, that we need Jesus. And that, that we're in the same group. Because everybody's broken. And so we're broken. We live in a fallen world. Sin abounds. All of us have sinned in the pursuit of pleasure and pain-free living. So we have to make sure we've established that. We're broken. The next thing that we have because of our self-righteousness, is we've developed something called the sin scale. And see if this rings true with you. This is not a God thing. This is something that we develop in, in our self-righteousness. The sin scale, um, we arbitrarily and culturally determine a level of sins, where some sins are not so bad and some sins are much worse. Do you guys get the sin scale? And it's, it's affecting all of us at some level, because we do it. It's, it's in response to this. And generally on the sin scale, your sins are not so bad, while other people's are much worse. That's the way the sin scale works. For example, in our culture, most of us would say that gossip is a very little inconsequential sin. It's a tiny sin. Oh, that's a just a, 
It's just a little gossip. It's a little, it's a little tiny, itty-bitty sin. Do you know that gossip is spoken more about in the Scripture than almost all and every other sin? Apparently to God, it's a big deal. But because we don't think it's a big deal, we just continue in it. And it, it continues. And the problem, that, that see, gossip is destructive. I mean, it destroys lives. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It's, it's horrendously powerful in an evil way. And yet we often don't even consider it a sin. Well, it doesn't, it's so far on, it's so tiny on the sin scale. And so, so in our self-righteousness, well, we got this little, but, but then when we deal with other people, see, we, we look at them and we think, well, their sin is way worse than that. And so we, we end up judging them in the process. And that's sort of the root of self-righteousness. Um, they, they, we sort of begin to perceive everyone else as worse than us on the sin scale. And we're, we, we then feel like we somehow are allowed to judge them in the process. And yet, you need to know sin is sin. It's that simple. You might scale it out, but it doesn't get scaled out in the big picture. It's sin. Any selfishness is sin. That's what Jesus died for. So there's no scale. It's just not one. Read the list when they start talking about it in the book. Just read them. You'll see. Well, you'll see some, you, you would say, are really big ones. Toss them there with, that seems like nothing. It's not. It's all a big deal. But that sin scale is a tool of the self-righteous. And that's why we need to be careful. And, and another thing about self-righteousness, it always has a hint of hate. There's always a hint of hate in it. Now, think about this. I'm going to toss another one out there. And I'm not, uh, there's a statement that's been used for a long time. Um, and I, I'm sure I've used it myself. Uh, without really thinking about it, and maybe you've used it, and I'm not judging anyone for having used it. It's one of those statements that's out there that people say, and it sounds right. But when you think about it, you'll see that there's this hint of self-righteousness about it. And this is a statement, and, and bear with me when I say it, but the statement is, hate the sin, love the sinner. You've probably heard it. Well, that makes, seems to make sense. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Okay. But see, if you begin to think about it in, in sort of a, a deeper way, um, if, if you are really relating to someone on that basis, hate the sin, love the sinner, do you think that person's going to feel loved at all? If you've gone in there and labeled them as a sinner who on the sin scale in your mind is far worse than you, do you think that you really are relating to them in a way that loves them? Because I'm, I'm guessing that you're not. Because I know I wouldn't be. I know that in the past when I've done it, I'm, I'm so self-righteous in it that it's, it's sick. Because I'm, you know, I'm feeling very, very holy. Because I'm, you know, being, I'm demonstrating my holiness to this sinner. And, uh, by, by, you know. And, and it's so, bleh, you wonder, it's the, you know, they gotta know that you don't mean it. And, and so, that's why it's so tricky. Um, we just gotta love people. And, and we have to get rid of the labels. Or we'll never come alongside of the broken. If you deal with someone based on a label that you've given them, based on sin, then you'll never be able to relate to them in a way that God will be able to move into their lives significantly. Because they won't feel loved. They, they, you know, they just sort of feel like um, they don't really fit or they don't really belong. Or that somehow we're saying to them, you know, when you're, when you're not such a mess, then we'll, we'll get along better. And it's, 
it's very self-righteous in its approach, and, and we have to be very careful of it because it's, it's a substitute for what real love looks like. And that's what I want to talk about then. So how do we do this? How do we come alongside the broken? What does it look like? Point three is we have to operate in true righteousness. That's what this verse is about, truth and righteousness. We have to ask God to help us live in true righteousness. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's a really intense verse, if you think about it. See, we're supposed to love God with all that we are. We've got to love God first and foremost. It's all about Him, and we've got, to, we've got to understand it's all about Him. But that little caveat, oh yeah, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. See, because I think when we want God to love us, we just want Him to love us, right? The way He does, which means He, he looks past all of our mess. He's good about that and just loves us. And He's saying, he's saying you, you get this, now this is, this is how you need to love other people. You need to love them in a true righteousness. And Jesus demonstrated it for us. And, and there's three things that he did. And a couple of these we've touched on before, but I need to bring them up again. The first one is this. The true righteousness sees the beauty of people's potential. Do you remember when I talked about that a few weeks ago? I, I can't get that out of my mind. And so I don't want it to slip out of your mind either. We have to see people. And when we do, we need to see the beauty of their Potential. When Jesus looked at sinners, which is all of us, he saw past their sin. And when he looked at them, he saw the beauty of their potential. Now, he, he never condones sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But he didn't let sin be the focus. And that's where I think we get in trouble in our self-righteousness. When we deal with other people who, who are worse on the sin scale... We, we've labeled them by their sin, and that's always a self-righteous thing. And we have to get past that. They're just broken like you're broken. That's it. You're, you're broken, they're broken, and we need to be able to come to them in a true righteousness that just deals with them as people seeing the beauty of their potential. That's what Jesus did. The second thing that he demonstrates about true righteousness is that it's grace-filled. Jesus was able to love like this because he exemplifies a grace-filled life. Jesus loved people. Here's the catch. People knew it. Do do you get that Jesus, the Holy One of God, would go into a room full of people who weren't living rightly, and he would love them, and they knew that he loved them. And all they'd experienced before in the way of representatives of God was this loathing, this you can't be a part of us, you're not good enough, we don't want you around, get away from us. And here comes Jesus into the scene with with sinners and tax collectors. Remember I told you at the time tax collectors were the lowest of the low. People wouldn't let tax collectors into their homes because they were considered to be traitors and against everything that they stood for. And here comes Jesus and he hangs out with them. He just comes and hangs out with them. And it changes them. That's what they respond to. They never, ever responded to the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. It didn't draw them to God. Jesus comes. says, no, this is what it's supposed to be like. And they're drawn to God and they change. They, they, they want to live lives that please 
God. They, they, they want to live differently. Um, knowing that God is with them and for them allows them to deal with their brokenness. And, and this is how it has to be. This is, this is where grace comes in. And, and ultimately, true righteousness is displayed in love. You, that's what we have to make sure we understand. And it doesn't take sin lightly. Don't ever hear me up here saying that, that sin's not a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It took a huge deal, a huge, a bigger deal to fix it on the cross. It's, it's, it's huge. But it can't be what stops us from living in true righteousness. And so, this, this love of God then dis- understands that people are only really healed from their brokenness in the content uh, and context of a loving relationship with God. Um, the, the underlying motivation that ultimately leads us away from hedonism, which is constantly seeking pleasure and pain-free life, is a desire to please God. That's it. That's the only thing that will keep you going away from that. Is that you realize that God loves you. You get a glimpse of how amazing it is that God loves you and wants to love you forever. And suddenly you have something better to live for. Because all of a sudden it's like, you know, I really, I really do want to live life that pleases God. That's, that's my goal. That's, that's my motivation now. It's not all about me. There's a, there's a, a bigger purpose. There's a higher calling. There's something more to it. And it, it's, it's only broken people realizing that that's what motivates us is the love of God that will ever allow us to come along and stand beside other broken people that need to know that too. And we have to meet them where they're at. We, we have to come and say, come and, and be a part and meet Jesus and let him take care of it in his time. And it takes time sometimes. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. Everybody else? I mean, there's some stuff he did a good job on right away, but there's other stuff. Keep hanging around. I'm like, man, what's taking so long? It's me. <laughs> he always tells me that. It you know, impresses me. It's me. But he's good. He loves me. I'll keep working on it. And he does. And it'll come back up. Ooh, yeah, I haven't dealt with that yet. And then he works with me. And he loves me. But, but see... Isn't that what you want for other people? And, and we'll, never, we'll never be that unless we realize that he wants us to stand alongside the broken. And so to accomplish that, we're going to have to be a people of integrity, always challenging our own Phariseeism and trying to love and see people the way that God does. And that's what it's about, to, to buckle on the belt of truth and to take up the Breastplate of righteousness is to live like that in, in this place of integrity where those things meet. Always challenging our self-righteousness and, and, and then loving people the way that God does. And that's what he's calling us to in the ministry of encouragement, to bless people in that way. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you were watching my video, thank you for watching. And uh, if you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. They'll pray for you there. We're going to go ahead and pray as a group. And then we'll call it a night.